your dreams and your ideas are meaningful currency. We've been told all throughout our lives, it's fun to have dreams, but let's get back to the real world. Let's get back to maintaining the status quo. And it's like, no, your dreams and your ideas are important because that's how the world gets improved is by you create something in your head and you manifest it through your actions. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a fire truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. Hey everyone, it's Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. In honor of the 4th of July, the most American holiday there is, I decided to do the most American thing that I could think of, and I am launching a Patreon page for the Half Hour Intern starting today. So just as America declared independence from Great Britain and became its own independent thing, the Half Hour Intern is a very independent thing. And... Uh, with that, there are some challenges and struggles and costs that, that come to that right now. And it would be awesome if any of you guys wanted to support in any way. So anyways, in the show notes for today's episode, and I'll probably be putting a link on the homepage of Half Hour Intern as well, there will now be a link to a Patreon page where if you enjoy the show and you have some extra money lying around, you can support the show. And I would really appreciate that. It took me a long time to do this. I was originally very, very against the idea of doing a Patreon page. And it's not something that I entirely believed in. And then after I did my episode about me, the 100th episode, I can't tell you how many like wonderful, beautiful, nice emails you guys sent in. And then so many of them, people would suggest that I created a Patreon page um, so that you guys could help out if you wanted to. So um, do not at all feel obliged to help out. Um, being somebody who doesn't have a lot of money myself right now, I totally understand what that's like and don't at all feel like you have to help out the show. But if you have some extra money and you enjoy the show and you enjoy what you've heard so far and you just wanted to help out in some way, that would be awesome. There'll be different um, like levels of helping and all make different... Um, uh, like ways that I can reciprocate those different levels um, that I see fit. And then also, as I said, it, originally I wasn't entirely on board with the idea of Patreon and, and having um, fans give me money directly. So I eventually, once I get uh, a good amount, uh, like a, just a regular income coming in from advertisements and stuff like that on the show, I will be closing down the Patreon. And anyone that that was on the Patreon at all, um, I will be doing something really nice for everyone. And I obviously don't know what that is right now, um, but just trust that I will absolutely pay forward any sort of generosity um, that you guys could show right now to help keep the show afloat and help keep me making episodes right now. So anyways, on to today's episode. In today's episode, I interview an independent comic book creator, Napoleon Doom, who makes an awesome comic book called Lost Bread. It is Napoleon's first comic series and uh, probably going to be working on some more in the future because Lost Bread is absolutely awesome. And there's a really weird, interesting origin story to Lost Bread and how it all came about um, through both business means and what made the comic come into 
come to reality. Um, and then also the inspiration for Lost Bread, which is through Lucid Dreams, which is a whole interesting story and a really great concept to have your comic book be about. So um, we've already had an author on the show that talks about you know writing a book. Uh, obviously, a comic book, there's just so much more to it. Napoleon is the creator of this, the artist of this, the writer of this. There's just so much more <laughs> that you have to do as a, uh, as a comic book creator. So Napoleon will go over all that for us. So without further ado, here is independent comic book creator. Napoleon, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, thank you. Uh, pleasure to be here. Yeah, so. yeah. So why don't we start out with, like, how exactly did you publish independently? Like, what was the background before you made your full comic, Lost Bread? Because I feel like there's probably a lot of, like, cool artists or people with good ideas to write about in their head that might be listening to this that just don't have the confidence or know-how to to make their own comic book. So, like, yeah, how did this all come about exactly? All right, well, uh, I guess, well, how it kind of started was uh, I was uh, listening to a podcast, uh, and they were talking, they had a guest on called Robert Wagner from the Monroe Institute, and he was talking about lucid dreaming, uh, which is when you dream, but you become conscious of the fact that you're dreaming in the dream. And I've had this since I was really young, and um, my background's in evolutionary psychology. I had a degree in psychology, and so I had always been trained to believe that dreams were just random bursts of energy that happen in your brain when you're recovering in sleep, so they're meaningless. And uh, at the time, I had just been uh, through a breakup in a relationship uh, fairly recently at uh, of 10 years, so I was trying to relearn who I was without this person and relearn who I had been before all of this happened. Hmm. And it was a really difficult point in my life. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to start keeping a dream journal uh, and listening to my dreams and seeing what's going on. And I found there was a running narrative. So I contacted the podcast that I had originally heard uh, and I kind of shared some of my artwork with them and asked if they'd be open to a uh, comic blog on their uh, website because they had bloggers who contributed. So in addition uh, to journaling, because you're such a good artist, you were also drawing some pictures of some of your dreams and stuff. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I was, uh, because, because it's so visual that some of the things, like if you tried to describe it, you'd be sitting there <laughs> like yeah. five pages. You're like, okay, so we know what the room looks like now. Uh, yeah, totally. But, and uh, so I, and they were cool with it. So it started out as a webcomic. Uh, and then I had compiled so much that I was, uh, kind of thinking, I'd really like to take this uh, and actually make it a printable comic, make it available to people so they don't have to look it up and click through and find where they're at on web. Uh, and so I submitted it. I got a couple printed up and I submitted it to some different agencies. And um, why most of them didn't get back to me, or if they did, it was to reject uh, my stuff. And I was kind of downtrodden. And then uh, one of the one of the agencies, and I can't remember which one, uh, one of the guys wrote me and said, you know, this is really good work and you don't need to wait around for somebody to approve you. You can get out there and start an uh, Indiegogo campaign or, you know, a Patreon account or something and you can get these printed yourself and start selling them yourself. You've already got people who are following you online, so why not? And that sounded like a good idea to me. So um, I had 50 printed up 
And uh, I started uh, sort of selling them online and uh, just put them together, resized it for typical comic book format. And uh, so things have been going pretty good since then. It's starting to pick up and I've been doing a couple different shows and uh, a couple different podcasts talking about it and sort of spreading the interest. And uh, self-publishing is is not as difficult as you think. You really just register yourself as having an ISBN number. And I did that through, I think, a site called Bowker. Um, and you register yourself as a publishing house. And uh, so when the ISBN number is run down, when somebody buys your book and scans that code, uh, it just lists you uh, or whatever publishing house you decide to list yourself as. And uh, so you become your own publishing house. Wow, and how interesting. That's, yeah, that's yeah, all you got to do. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about comics in general and like mm-hmm. the state of comics. So, uh, and actually, first of all, I guess I should ask before, before we start talking about comics is, are you just a great artist who also um, has interesting stuff to write about because of your lucid dreaming? Or were you actually also into comics before you made a comic? I was really, really into comics uh, when I was younger. I think... Um, I had first discovered X-Men through the Saturday morning cartoon that came oh, on. Such a good cartoon. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, it was amazing. And so I started buying the comic books. I started buying the cards. And I had a whole bunch of them together. And I was just, uh, the story just resonated with me. I think everyone knows the story of X-Men. It's, it's basically anyone who's never fit in or who's been kind of odd can relate to that kind of phenomenon. Yeah. And I just loved it so much. And then um, when I got older... And I would tell people about it. They'd be like, well, that's not a real comic. That's, that's not real. That's, you're not really into comics. And uh, because, Yeah, like it's not like avant-garde enough. Yeah, it's, it's not edgy enough. <laughs> and um, so uh, I started exploring other things. So I, X-Men still has a very special place in my heart. X-Men, Batman. Um, originally, when I got my degree in psychology, which should have been a huge sign that uh, you know, maybe you should be doing something else, they chose. They told me to choose a major, and I was like, "Ah, uh, okay. Um, I really like Harlequin from Batman, and Harlequin was a clinical psychologist before she went crazy. So I'm going to be a psychology major." <laughs> and they were like, "That is the most ridiculous explanation." Yeah, fine. We'll just check the box. There you go. Yeah, you took <laughs> you took like the one person with a college degree in <laughs> in yeah. the DC universe. That's great. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I was just really, really into comics, really into art, writing, animation, and film. Anything that was just storytelling. Um, I used to stay up during the summers when I was in junior high, just stay up all night and write. Uh, just, you know, write these stories, these extensive stories. And uh, I, I had, like, by the end of the summer, I'd have, like, a 300-page novel that I never did anything with. But uh, it, it was just I had to get those stories out of me. Man, I'm so happy for you that you made this comic then and that you listened to that podcast and that all this has happened. It's so easy yeah. for us to to have these things that are our passions that we enjoy and to just be like, oh, this is just for me to enjoy on the side. But like this other thing, this is my career path. And and we kind of almost subconsciously like separate those two things in our head, you know, like it's so cool to be like, wait a second, like I... I could actually try to do this. Um, it's a very scary but like liberating thing. So obviously you cared about comics and everything. So yeah. 
first of all, what is the state of the overall comic book industry right now? Like, like bigger comics like Marvel and DC mm-hmm. and everything like that. Are they doing well? Uh, are they doing as well as they were doing 20 years ago? Are they doing worse because people aren't reading as much? Or are they doing better because um, it's more popular to be nerdy? Well, that, that's uh, one of the funny things is uh, comic books is always going to be an industry based on uh, resale, uh, on old issues. Uh, the main money is in the antique. Like if you can get a Superman 1 or a Spider-Man 8 or something like that, then that's where the big money is. So it's hard when you're a new artist or you're creating new material. Um, but I think that uh, th- there's really been this resurgence of interest in comics, especially with comic book movies, and people are kind of giving them a chance again. Um, and uh, it-, it used to be that people would just knock them out and do it as fast as they could, and sort of the storylines were maybe a little bit lacking. Um, and that's kind of where Stan Lee changed things. There was um, there used to be a comic book company, uh, EC Comics, and they did these horror comics and stuff like that, um, and they were really intense, really good art, really intense storylines, and that sort of showed people what a comic could be, and then people started integrating that more into the basic comic world, and so you you had kind of the split for a while where you had uh, these really good, intense comics, but people were almost penalized um, for, uh, they had a major court order, I think, during the 50s and so when uh, people were penalized for uh, stories that were anti-American themes or anti-American imagery and stuff like that. So, Mm. uh, and that's still, uh, because of that, I think comics are still hurt a little bit because people see them as, oh, these paltry storylines, these silly, exaggerated characters. And they were for a very long time because people didn't have any other option. If that's what you wanted to do, then that's the storylines that you had to create and you had to work within the guidelines and it's coming away from that now and people are starting to get really great characters really rich comics uh really beautiful storylines and people are starting to see that this is the fusion of art and literature which are two things that are not seen as trashy or dumpy or silly and yet somehow when you put them together people think you know oh this is this is crap all of a sudden it's childish <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's so funny well yeah hopefully the um like the public opinion continues to change on that. So let's talk more about the state of independent comics then. So how difficult is it for a new IP, like a new, like intellectual property, a new idea to break through in the world of comics when you have um, like Marvel and DC and stuff like that. I know that there's some cool, like independent comics out there, but are those independent comic book makers paying their bills with the comics alone? Uh, some of them are and some of them aren't. Um, I, I'd say that a lot of it is luck, just like anything else. Um, to become a new independent comic book artist, because there's so many people out there doing web comics and independent comics and stuff, that the challenge is making yourself stand out from other people. And uh, you have to do it all yourself. You you don't have you know somebody doing it for you. There, there's people out there who can hire a publicist or who hire an agent, things like that. But for the most part, you uh, really just you know have to go to the conventions and you have to uh, do podcasts and radio shows and send out your marketing packages and get build the interest yourself. And it's about your willingness and your commitment to uh, grind and you just push, push, push. 
and get people to believe that what you're doing is worthwhile and sometimes get yourself to believe that what you're doing is worthwhile. Because I think in the beginning, uh, when I would reach out to someone or something, I'd be like, you know, this is rude. This is vulgar. Why would anybody care <laughs> about what I have to say or what I do? Why should I take up their airtime? But I've had to say, you know, no, I've got something I want to talk about. I've got something I want to share with people. And it's just as worthwhile as anything else anyone has to say. That's awesome. So, I, it's good to hear you talk about that. Like, that's obviously something that I think everyone struggles with is like, you know, and, and your your comic book is so is so vulnerable. You know, it's like you're the main character in the comic mm-hmm. book. It's your dreams and stuff. So I could totally see like, oh, these are my dreams. Like, why should anyone else care about my own dreams? You know, and like, that's so it's just so silly and self defeating. And like, we can be our own worst enemy sometimes. So it's, uh, it's great to hear, <laughs> to hear you talk about struggling with that. And, and, you know, reminding yourself like that. Yeah, your shit rules. So, <laughs> so they people should care to talk to you. Right. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about more of the inspiration behind the comic and everything. So I, you sent me a copy of your comic and it's really good. Yeah. And I was always like really envious of people who could lucid dream prior to receiving your comic. And now I am like not so sure that I'm envious <laughs> of people who could lucid dream because I always just thought like, oh man, if I could lucid dream, like I'm just going to be flying around shooting laser beams out of my eyes. It's going to be awesome. Uh, it doesn't really appear that that is the way that it is. Well, in my case, it's not, uh, it, it, you don't totally control the situation. Um, and I, uh, I likened it a couple of times to, uh, the movie Cool World, if you've ever seen it, uh, where you have a character called Jack Debs, and for whatever reason, he's an artist, he, he writes a comic book based on these, uh, stories that appear in his head, and for whatever reason, he's able to cross over into this other dimension called Cool World. And he writes the stuff that he sees, but at no point is he fully in control of it. He's in control of himself to a degree, but he can't tell the other characters what they can and cannot do. Um, so mm. it, it's kind of uh, my experience from it is I started lucid dreaming because I have like really outrageous nightmares that I can't wake up from. And so it was like a defense mechanism as far as I understood it. So that step I, one is just to even realize that you're in a nightmare. You're like, yeah. okay, I'm here, but I can't really do anything about it, but I know that I'm here. Right, right. And uh, so I would just say, okay, well, I'm, I'm dreaming, so I can make this, I can change this. It, it, if the monster's here, I'd make myself go somewhere else and that kind of thing. And um, for, for me, I, I have a dream sign as well that when I was uh, younger... It was my mother. Uh, my mother would appear in dreams to me. And uh, as I got older, it sort of shifted and became different things. And now it's Meg Ryan. Um, Dude, way better than mom to have Meg Ryan in there. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. And the dream sign is basically uh, what alerts you to the fact that you're dreaming. And when I would see my mom, it would be my mom, but there was something off about her. Maybe her hair was the wrong color, or maybe she just wasn't acting very motherly. She was walking around with a machine gun or something. Uh, So that would be like your tip off to the fact that you were dreaming. And I'd go, you're not my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. It's really interesting that you can have that realization and that that realization doesn't cause you to wake up that you can still stay dreaming after having the realization. Yeah, and I, I guess for everybody else in the world, um, you, you get stirred to wakefulness when something weird or something traumatic happens to you in the dream. And I, I guess that 
that sounds like a good thing. <laughs> that's not that's not my experience. Um, that's not my personal experience. Um, I've had that happen a couple different times, but I, I wouldn't say it's a regular experience for me. Yeah. So has Meg Ryan aged in your dreams, or does Meg Ryan stay like '90s Meg Ryan? She's always '90s Meg Ryan. Uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, and um, I I I, um, I blame the line from Top Gun: "Take me to bed or lose me forever." At, um, I watched that movie a lot when I was a kid. Uh, I thought I wanted to be a pilot for a really long time. Um, and I, uh, I, you know, there, there's a lot of things that work their way into my comic book that were uh, really profound in my childhood that have just become staples of my dream world. Um, meddling kids genre cartoons. I tend to dream myself as being in a band that solves mysteries a lot of the times. Mm, uh, yeah. <laughs> Meg Ryan gets in there. Um, Italy. Uh, I went to Italy when I was younger, and it was uh, a really profound experience. I tend to dream a lot about Italy and Europe and uh, different landscapes from there. And so um, all these things that I've collected in my waking world, I take back to my dream world, and they become this whole other world. So, Man, I don't want to get too off topic from the comics, but I would yeah. love to know if you have done any research on people that lucid dream or people that have incredibly uh, vivid or meaningful dreams like the way that you have um, versus other people in like what their brains look like under like an fMRI or, uh, you know, either while they're dreaming or just any other time. Now, the neuroscience part of it, I, I'm not really very educated in, but... um. I have uh, researched a lot of people. Uh, I mean, there, there's a whole lot of movements. A lot of people think that it's astral travel um, or uh, alternate realities that we can access in a dream state. I'm not entirely sold on that myself. Uh, I like the concept. I love the idea. Uh, a lot of people take it with that new age kind of angle. Um, and But what I have done some reading about is different chemicals and things like that that you can eat. Um, that will uh, create that state. And one of them being uh, cheese and chocolate, uh, which have opioid, uh, creates a natural opioid uh, in your body when you eat it, which, you know, is like opium. And uh, so you create these uh, opioids. And then when you sleep, you have these wild, vivid dreams. It's like in A Christmas Carol, uh, where I think Scrooge has a line about like, well, you were just He's talking to Marley, who's appeared to him, and he said, well, you're just something that I ate. Yeah, totally. And I think he actually says about him being like a crumb of cheese or something right. like that. Right, right. And um, so uh, I would say cheese and chocolate are two things that I really, really like a lot. And uh, people, people have actually online called it pizza dreams. And pizzas obviously are, I, a cheese is a main component in that. But they have these, people will sometimes have these wild dreams after eating abundant amounts of pizza. And... Um, so I, I don't know if it has something to do with that, but I, I find that kind of interesting. And it can't really hurt you too much. So if you want to play around with that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm definitely going to just eat tons of pizza and chocolate from now on and be like, look, <laughs> Napoleon told me this is how I get the cool dream. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit more about your comic itself. So uh, I want to know about like a few of the artistic choices in the comic. Um, yeah. One is that there's tons of Easter eggs throughout the comic, which mm -hmm. I love. Um, talk about the decision to put those in there. It reminded me very much of when we were kids. Basically, every doctor's office had highlights, yeah. um, which was like a little kids magazine there. And there was all there was always like a picture in the highlights magazine where you had to find like all the different little things in the picture, like like a boot in the tree made out of tree leaves or 
whatever. And it reminded me so much of that. I, I started noticing all these different things. Um, yeah. T- talk about the decision to put little Easter eggs throughout. Yeah. I, I've really enjoyed, uh, since I was a kid, uh, Richard Scarry was uh, a book a writer who did that similar kind of thing whereas Waldo I've always really enjoyed that like little aspect and in video games when they put little easter eggs or in movies when they put easter eggs in there I always just think it's fun it adds a different level to it so I wanted to do that and since I was writing it as a webcomic for Gramerica which is the podcast that I was listening to um, I did things based on the show uh, or based on things that they would talk about um so uh, one of their symbols, uh, their mascot is the Moai, the big statues from Easter Island. So I'd, I'd hide him in there a couple different times. Or um, with the, uh, a kind of a joke had been made about uh, one of the podcasters, Graham, uh, being sort of in personality like uh, Ray from Ghostbusters. Uh, because uh, just whenever they have a guest on and the guest will talk about something, he's always just like, whoa, wow. <laughs> <laughs> And just like that wide-eyed wonder that just amazed at everything this person has to say. So uh, we always kind of, kind of uh, drew him as uh, Ray from Ghost. So if you look, you'll see Dan Aykroyd kind of appearing in the background. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I always just thought that was kind of fun when uh, you got to search for those kind of things. And it gives it, uh, you know, once you've read it, then you can go through and you can look for all the little hidden things. And then maybe you notice things in the book that you didn't notice before. Yeah. What was cool for me is like, I'm not familiar with Gramerica or, you know, the, the different like inside jokes, but it, that didn't matter. It's still just cool to look at, you know, like to your point about like, where's Waldo? It's like, there's no inside joke with where's Waldo. It just is where's Waldo, you know, like, and it's Mm -hmm. fun for anyone looking, whether they get it or not, to just be able to, to look through and see these cool little things. And, and, uh, it wasn't just Waldo that was hidden in there that you would find all sorts of weird things that were going on in the where's Waldo universe. Totally, man. I totally forgot about that. I'm going to have to go pick up some where's Waldo books. That's that's a good thing. Um, so the other interesting decision in your book is, or in the comic is Mm -hmm. that you break the fourth wall a few times. Um, talk about deciding to do that. I I imagine that that wasn't just like a, for sure, I'm going to do this. Like, did you go back and forth with the decision to do that? Um, I remember the first time that I had experienced, uh, breaking the fourth wall, I was watching Looney Tunes on uh, Saturday morning with my dad and they had uh, one where, I, I don't remember the character, but he says, uh, is there a doctor in the house? And uh, somebody stands up, and they show the silhouette against the screen of this man standing up. And I was really confused by it. And he said, when these first came out, they played them in movie theaters. So you would have seen it on the screen. It would have looked like a guy was standing up. Uh. And I remember saying, that's so cool. That's, wow. Because then it makes it, you're a player and you're not just passively watching it anymore. Now you're kind of a player in this universe. It kind of creates the illusion that this universe comes into your own world. It doesn't stop at the page and doesn't stop at the screen. And I just thought that was so cool. And I started noticing it in different things like, you know, Shakespeare, they have the soliloquies where the character turns to the audience and will explain something in kind of a tongue in cheek way or um, just, and I always just thought that was such a neat, technique because people know they're watching a movie or reading a book or something like that and when you take a little aside and say like look okay i know you're reading this but here's what you got to know about what's going on right here and i just think that's that's kind of fun it's just a little aside that uh, brings the person in as an active player in that universe yeah definitely 
Definitely. It's yeah, it's it's it it lets your audience feel like they're interacting with you in some way versus like instead of you're just giving them something, it's like now we're both doing this together or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The your name, Napoleon Doom. I oh. imagine Doom is not like a given last name or Napoleon your first name. So that's I assume a pen name. Uh, like what's the decision to do a pen name versus using your real name? Uh, my decision to do a pen name came from the fact that you're given a name at birth and you kind of live with this name and uh, sort of qualities are assigned to you by the people who know you. Uh, and you're, you're given this that they say, oh, you don't like that or, or you love this or this is your favorite right here. And it's sort of like, OK, well, I'm glad you've decided that for me. And you become. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like this is the way that that person handles that type of situation. And right. it's like, well, you got to let them handle the situation first before you judge them. Yeah. And so it, it just your name at, at a certain point. Uh, becomes just sort of the shackle for you. And you really are so many different people for so many different audiences in your life. I'm not going to talk to you the way that I would talk to my grandmother or my boss or anything like that. It's it's a completely different persona that you assume. So when I write, I have my own persona that I've created for myself. Uh, my my And it uh, coincides with, you know, what's going on there. Um, uh, Napoleon is uh, he's famous for being kind of a dictator and taking over Europe. But the thing that uh, people don't realize about Napoleon Bonaparte was that uh, he, his major contribution above everything else was that before him, people believed that uh, leadership was something you were born into. You had some magical sparkles inside your heart that made you the king or the queen or a duke or a duchess. And if you didn't have them, sorry. And... Obviously, that wasn't working out because you had, uh, in, you know, <laughs> Marie Antoinette and uh, Louis and all those people who are just running around and spending money on crazy things like wigs and elaborate parties. And uh, Marie Antoinette used to like to paint the cows to match her gown and so that she could frolic amongst the um, cows and the farm animals that she had put on the estate and pretend that she was a peasant girl. And it's like, is that really good use of taxpayer money? <laughs> yeah. And so whatever little sparkles she had inside of her that made her worthy of being born into that position, it just wasn't a valid system. And Napoleon, uh, he, he was fairly well-born. He was, was noble-born, but he um, just worked from uh, being a general and happened to be lucky that he was born during the French Revolution, well, uh, was born prior to the French Revolution and served... Um, in the French Revolution, uh, at, at, in the army. And uh, so that afforded him chances to show that he was actually very intelligent. And uh, even still, uh, the generals and the higher-ranking people were generally people who were elite. Uh, and he had worked his way through. It was a difficult, it, it was an unusual time, so uh, he was able to work his way into a higher position than maybe he would have under normal circumstances. And uh, just from his intelligence and his wherewithal, he was able to promote himself to the Emperor of France. Um, and originally, he was first consulate for life, um, and he wanted to stick with that because he didn't want to bring in the whole idea of like a king or somebody presiding over everybody. But he found that people didn't understand that concept when you said, no, I'm first consulate. That's, they're like, no, but, but are you the king? But, and they, they had to yeah, have Yeah, they weren't that. prepared for that yet. So he, he chose emperor, which was 
he thought the most democratic kind of term, and uh, it, it became something else later on. But uh, the major contribution that he had was he showed that you are not what you're born. You are something else entirely, that you make yourself and you don't have to be limited. And that's why I chose the name Napoleon. Uh, and uh, Doom is just, uh, it <laughs> has a good resonance, I totally. think. It's a great like comic book name. Yeah. And uh, so, so I liked that. Um, then also you get uh, Napoleon Dynamite, which is a movie that was kind of hip for a while. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a funny movie. It's got a lot of great one-liners. But one thing that I think is really phenomenal about it is it addresses male depression, which is something that no movie re- really ever does. And people are like, well, it's a comedy. But <laughs> it takes a character who is unhappy with his life and... He has a bad social standing, uh, isn't really what he wants, and through his own efforts, pushes himself to become something more and build the life that he wants. And he never gives up. He, he's not a great artist, but he pushes his art out there. He gives it to people. He's not afraid. And uh, he's not afraid to get up there and dance in front of everyone, even though they think he's a big walking joke. He's very bold and he's very confident. And even though he's unsatisfied with his life and he's unhappy... He doesn't let that push him into a corner where he's just pouting and moping. He says, no, we're going to do something about this. And I, I like that as well. Dude, I love that. What a great double entendre. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's talk about the work behind the comic. So how much time goes into making just like one single drawing, one, one page of the comic? Some of these are so detailed. Yeah. Um, I'm working on one that, that's been a long time coming, especially since I've already published and I have to do all the work that goes along with that. Um, but I would say when I first started out, I could do about a page a week. Um, and now it's getting to take several months, uh, especially the one that I'm working on now has a lot of aerial shots, a lot of landscapes and backgrounds and things like that that I've worked in. And so that takes a while. Uh, but I would say I, I wake up. Uh, the second that I wake up, I have some coffee, I have something to eat, and then I get to work on the computer, and I just draw until I can't draw anymore, or until I have to go to the bathroom. But um, that's really just, I, I just kind of keep with it, and so I, I pull every day about a 10 to 15 hour day, uh, and in between that I do commissioned artwork to make some money, things like that. Um, and uh, that's that's really all I do all day. Um, so, how about the uh, writing portion of it? Like once once you've made all the drawings, does mm-hmm. it kind of like write itself? Because you're actually you're looking at the photo, or you know, you're looking at this drawing that's kind of already telling the story. So now you're just like filling it in. Is that was that right? I script it beforehand. Um, I actually um, because I, I had a background in multimedia. Um, I write basically a screenplay and then i set up all my shots based around the screenplay and uh so i'm I'm able to use that when i'm planning out all the shots and when i'm blocking everything out and um you have to kind of think of it as as having a camera anyway because when you're when you're in the dream you're seeing it through your own perspective but when you draw it for people you can't do it that way they they have to be able to see where you are and what the situation is you have to have establishing shots so people know where they are so in a lot of ways it is like creating a screenplay creating um your your basic uh storyboard for uh, a film or something like that which i think is why comic books translate so easily into movies 
Uh, if you ever read Sin City and then you go watch the movie, it's almost frame by frame exactly like the comic book. And mm. you don't get that every time. Yeah. But I, I think that if, if you plan it out correctly, you can create something like that where people are sort of taken along the story. And, and the sign that you're doing it correctly is when people don't notice. Uh, wh- when you have a shot that comes out of nowhere and you're like, wait, why are we suddenly here? What, who? What? Then you want it to be a smooth transition where people just feel like they're gliding along from page to page. And I, I do that by scripting it out first and having everything pretty well planned. The scripting is, is pretty easy. But the drawing is when it gets complicated. So, and do you draw everything by hand, and then like use vector? Like, how, how are you, how are you making these? Now, I uh, draw everything on a uh, Cintiq tablet, a Wacom Cintiq. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Tablet, which is it's basically a great big flat computer monitor that I have a stylus that I can draw directly onto. Um, prior, when I uh, had tried to do comic books before, I had always drawn it by hand on paper with just a number two pencil. Um, and I, I'm, I'm a big advocate of using what you have. And I got to a point where I could get a Cintiq tablet and I could do it this way. And, it, you know, it, it sped the work process up significantly for me. And it made things a lot easier because then I can just go right into Photoshop and start coloring. Uh, but I think... All those years of working with probably the crappiest material. I mean, any artist will tell you, well, you're working with a number two pencil. It's like, yeah, number two pencil on a piece of college rule paper while I'm in math class and I'm making my comic book. And and that helps you really establish the art of it, um, establish what you want to do, uh, and, and you develop your skills. And then when you get to the point where you, you can afford the higher end stuff, I had, uh, there's an artist named Jaime Hernandez who I actually got to meet when I was uh, probably about 22. And uh, one of his big things was uh, he always just said, pick up a pencil. He writes a comic series called Love and Rockets. And he's just like, pick up a pencil. There you go. And that's always been my thing. So I do use a higher end kind of piece of equipment. Uh, but I think that. Or, but you're not original- above picking up a pencil. Oh, yeah. And when I've been on the road, uh, a lot of times I, I uh, will sketch the things out on a piece of paper or <laughs> on a copy of Sky Mall or something like that on an airplane or whatever I have available to me just so I can get the idea there. And then I can take it home to uh, my, my computer and I can do what I need to do with it. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Napoleon, let's, uh, let's mm-hmm. wind this thing down with some advice for some young artists out there. So if there's anyone out there that would like to make their own comic, um, or if maybe you have some more generic advice that you would like to give to just artists in general, what would that be? Let's see. Um, don't be afraid. Uh, I, I think that the biggest thing, uh, people who are artists or writers or a- anything that's cerebral like that, I think most of your life you're sort of talked down to and you're sort of told that what you're doing is unimportant. And it's like, oh, well, what really is writing anyway? And it's like, well, you could say that about anything. What really is a hammer anyway? It's pretty useful when you want to put a nail into the wall. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just kind of a silly mentality to have. And um, I, I say just don't be afraid. Put some planning into it. Really think about it before you do it because uh, you are not going to be making money while you're making the comic. You don't make money until the comic is completed and printed. So plan for that. Uh, Be ready to pull that together. Um, And uh, I think a lot of times people are 
made to feel like they're bad for asking for help from other people, um, for for support, or uh, you know, uh, hey, I I really am going to need to some help doing prints. Uh, is it okay if I mow your lawn or you know clean the dishes or do, do something around the house to earn up some money because I I need to. Or can I do paint this wall for you? Can I do something? People feel like it's bad to ask for help for those around you, like you're leeching off of them. And it's like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. You can't make it in this industry. Any writer or artist or something has had somebody who helped them. And because you, you really, it's, it's not like showing up to a day job where you work and you get a paycheck. You're not going to get anything until it's finished. So you know, just keep that in mind, but don't be afraid of it. Uh, just, you know, that what you have is valid and what you're doing is something meaningful. And the big thing that I, I think, um, is that, uh, your dreams and your ideas are meaningful currency. They're, uh, they're something that we, we have adopted this sort of idea like, uh, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, uh, she comes back to Kansas after going to Oz or Claire and the Nutcracker. She comes back to the real world. And so we, we've been told all throughout our lives, it's fun to have dreams, but let's get back to the real world. Let's get back to maintaining the status quo. And it's like, no, your dreams and your ideas are important because that's how the world gets improved is by you create something in your head and you manifest it through your actions. You have to commit to that. You have to build on it. But, you know, if you think, read Jules Verne or, any, or, or Star Trek, I mean, it's inspired a lot of different things that people have created in the real world. And that was all imagination. So don't ever think of what you're doing as being something worthless. Just commit to it, plan it out, and, you know, do what you got to do to get it going. Man, love that. That is some good-ass advice right there. Um, Napoleon, why don't you tell people where they can get your comic, which, uh, I fully sign off on this comic rules, man. So people should buy it. Um, where can they get it? You can get it at uh, lostbreadcomic.com. And, uh, right now, uh, for the next 30 days, I'm going to be selling through mysterious galaxy, uh, which is a bookstore. And so if you go to Mysterious Galaxy, which their website is MIST, as in the first part of Mysterious, M-Y-S-T, galaxy.com, and you do a search for Lost Bread, uh, you can buy my comic there. And so that's, again, mistgalaxy.com, and do a search for Lost Bread. And if you call that up, you can uh, find my comic. And if I sell enough comics in 30 days, I'm on consignment right now, which means that uh, they're going to hold me there. And if it sells, then they keep me. And if it, I don't make enough sales, then they're going to send me. Uh, you're going to have me pack up and move on. And that's kind of what you do when you're first starting out. So um, I'm hoping that I can get enough people to uh, buy it. It's, it's just $10. You can buy it online. Or you can go down to Mysterious Galaxy if you're in San Diego. They're at 5943 Balboa Avenue, Suite 100, San Diego, California, 92111. And you can go ahead and you can go to their uh, local authors section and you can buy Lost Bread. Just ask them for it right at the front. And uh, that would be a great thing for you guys to do if you yeah, could. I highly recommend it. It's um, Your artwork is so good and it's really cool reading your comic because it's not... It's not like, aside from what we were saying earlier where you break the fourth wall, it's not like just being told a story. Because of the fact of 
your history with lucid dreams and the fact that you you know mentioned that in kind of the the prologue to everything it it's like an insight into you and your dreams and every, you know it's it's a it's a much more personal thing than just being told a story so um yeah i highly recommend it so um thank you for sending me this one and thank you for coming on the show it's been a real pleasure having you on oh thank you pleasure is all mine thank you so much for having me blake Hey everyone, it's Blake. Hope you all enjoyed the episode with Napoleon. This Thursday, we'll be having an episode about being a turtle biologist. So uh, look forward to that. Who needs Shark Week when you have sweet-ass turtles? So uh, that's coming up on Thursday. Also wanted to reiterate, in case you skipped through the intro, that I just launched a Patreon page, which there will be links to on the show notes of this episode, as well as on the homepage of Half Hour Intern. So um, if you have some extra dough lying around and you would like to support the show, I cannot tell you how much I would appreciate that. So uh, thank you so much for consideration with that. Thank you so much for just listening to the show and being a fan. It means so much to me. And uh, I will see you guys on Thursday.